dig in the crates. Sometimes you gotta dig deep. This is Digging the Crates. I'm Vice Beats. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the podcast, brought to you by The Find. The podcast focuses on exploring the art, passion and culture of hip-hop, going beyond the typical questioning and digging deeper into the passions, inspirations and experiences of those involved in the scene's rich culture, immersing you in the music. This season features artwork from Ross Mullins of Anchor Points, intro music by Herma Puma and Jabba the Cut, and editing support for this episode from Felix Payne. For this episode, we meet an illustrator who's embodied the hip-hop ethos for the majority of his life. Originally from England, he relocated to New York for a good few years as a breakdancer, graffiti writer, and artist, finding his way within the scene. His remarkable journey has led him to creating arguably one of the most respected series of hip-hop illustrations to date, in the form of Ego Strip. Spanning decades, we dig deep into his inspiration and path to this point. This is Digging the Crates with Dan Lish. And now for our feature presentation. All right, here, here we go. This is Dan Lish. And when I'm drawing in little itty-bitty black books, I'm listening to Dig in the Crates with Vice Beats. Dan Lish, welcome to Dig in the Crates. How you doing, man? Very well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. So I just wanted to first start by asking you, Dan, like, when did you first start getting into hip-hop? Was there like a certain moment or certain track or certain time that you remember that you kind of linked into the scene or the music? Yeah, it was sort of 1983-ish because you know back then you're not really conscious of timekeeping what time (laughs) you're in (laughs) or or recording it you know so specifics I think it was like the message from Planet Rock and songs like that that really just just took me off into the stratosphere you know with um, just what the hell is this and I didn't really understand the music when I was that age because I was like 12, 13. But I knew it, it sort of grabbed me and I, I used to see little bits of, of, of B-Boy and Breaking, you know, on the telly, uh, tiny little snippets. And uh, it just grabbed my attention because it was so different, quite rebellious and in your face. And uh, just the, the sound, sonics, the physical aspects of it, but then the artwork, you know, and then sometimes it all came in that lovely little package in this country where it might have been, although the song is, is really cheesy, you know, Rocksteady Crew or whatever, it had all the elements in there, like the whole B-Boy ethos and, and the roots of it coming straight from New York. And, and my dad's from New York anyway, so not saying that I had a connection with it because of that, but maybe it was easily relatable I don't know but um, that's what really influenced me you know at at that young age
was your dad living in New York? Was that the reason why you, you ended up over there? No. Well, he's Brooklyn born and bred, but he was basically in England because of the, the Air Force, and that's where he met my mum. So he's based in Suffolk. I think it was either Mildon Hall or Lake and Heath or one of those places in Suffolk, the air bases. So because of that, I had access to that, and I used to see little snippets going to the air base, and we'd play air base shows. And we'd also get a lot of record collections um, from DJs. I don't know why... I don't know how that happened, but they would come from the bases and they'd fill up our second-hand record shops, you know, with, with just just like classics and a lot of lot of decent vinyl, and we'd get the odd mixtape as well. Oh, nice. Um, I mean, that came a bit later because, you know, then like those first couple of years when the floodgates opened eventually, then you had like, you know, the films were coming out, you know, the cheesy breakdance film. And then Beat Street and Wild Style and all this, and uh, you had that you know, amazing documentary Star Wars, and, and this all helps. It's like this is fueling that massive, you know, just that passion that, and, and that. Um, not not saying that like escapism, because my parents split up and everything, and it was it wasn't a very pleasant time, but that really helped as well. You know, having that just like uh, that, like I say, it's re- rebellious um, output of of expression. Yeah. No, that helped a lot. Um, and then just like uh, having friends, because I was based in Norfolk at the time, so having friends that had that London connection as well, because it was Thetford, Norfolk, and there was a lot of London overspill of young families that left London and um, went to like Abbey Farm Estate and St John's Estate and stuff like this. Like, there was a lot of, um, I mean, you know, the families were, were quite poor, uh, but there was, a, there was a lot of sort of unity there. Uh, and friends, you know what I mean? You had that, just that general connection and, and good sort of community, really. So uh, it all just came together in one big, I know it's a bit cheesy, but one big melting pot. Get involved in the conversation. Use the hashtag DTC Podcast. So, I mean, what came first for you then? Because, I mean, you've got involved in like DJing and breaking and like graph and illustration and all sorts. What was the the flow for you in terms of how did it start and, and what was the journey between those different things for you? Dance, dance first, dance, music, then the art, the, 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 graffiti, the graffiti. And with that, um, I mean, they say like from the age of 14, to, I think it's 21 or something like that, those years, that, new, that, that sort of... Um, those those really important years which sort of mould your musical taste for the rest of your life. So when I got into it, I wasn't in the, the areas where people were grabbing mics and, and, and rhyming. It was mainly instrumental, like electro-funk, with little sprinkles of rhymes. Um, that's what really grabbed me. So it was that instrumental style, that hard, like electronic funk sound, like sparse, like 808 beats. And, and at the same time, there were break beats as well, but I didn't really understand it. It was like snippets of things, like, you know, like uh, History of Hip Hop, Steinsky. Um, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, History, history of Hip Hop uh, 1, 2, and 3, like, it was all cut and paste. I didn't really understand it, but it just sounded so sort of vibrant. And, um, like the energy of it was brilliant, really resonated quite deeply. And so the, the, the MC in part of it only really got into it a little bit later when I started getting my head around Melly Mel's lyrics probably, and then started just like, oh yeah, it's really vibing off of that. But that came a little bit later. You see? Three. You see? Two. 
He says one. He says now we come to the payoff. of it like where did the the graph and illustration side of that form i mean was it kind of just naturally coming out at that time when you're really young you want to imitate what or try and get your head around like back engineer what you're seeing so obviously i'm reinterpreting scheme or scenes letters you know for the graffiti we'd, we'd get you know we had the book uh, my mate Arif, who, like I say, had that connection with his cousins in London, uh, he got the, the um, Subway Art, which just blew my socks yeah. off. Uh, no, that cl- classic book, isn't it? Like the most stolen book in published history <laughs> or something like that. I mean, I went through three or four copies myself. So you, you sort of just copy that. And also, I mean, I've been drawing since I was like three, four, as long as I can remember. But um, so that was always, that, that was always there, that, that type of intelligence for that visual language was always there. Uh, and I just, in a, not in a negative way, but I just jumped on the bandwagon in a, in a way where it was completely new, brilliant, just loved it. I want to copy it and see what, how it's done. So that's how I started. And then over the years, you, 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 you form your own style and uh, your, your own personality comes out on that so it wasn't until many many years later that the illustration I had to go through a process of detachment to re-find you know reinvigorate or, or re-discover to combine it and, and that was really um, trying to express my true self um, leaving the letter form behind because um, I just that was my natural pull just for characters and textures and layering and it just so it happened to be in an ink pen instead of a spray can. Um, like I like to pick up a spray can now and again, but there's something more tactile for me, like actually touching a surface. So you got to mature and and grow within yourself. Know thyself. You know it's, it's been been said for thousands of years. You know you have to go through all that process to uh, instead of an ode to the New York style that I'd been doing for so many years. Um, I had to sort of shed that in a way. This is very personal, subjective experience to sort of find my own path. You said about that journey into illustration. I mean, do you remember who the first artist was that you ended up drawing when you got into this almost like Danlish version 4.0 within within hip hop? Well, it was it was discovering European comics, comic books. Um, so it's like very early Simon Bisley when he was inking uh, Mobius from France again back engineering their style not so much Mobius but more Robert Crumb from America yeah. uh, and and Simon Bisley when he used to do ABC Warriors and, and it was a lot of 2000 AD you know when I was very young from probably like 8 or 9 getting that comic and you know the mix of sci-fi and that that um that type of sort of punk ethos 
are quite rebellious again. I have a, a strong spirit of rebellion within me, which I think is personally very healthy. <laughs> so that came through. That came through in a lot of a lot of ways of expressing myself. And the media, you know, the comic books, literature, what visual stimuli I sucked in. You know, it's, it had to resonate at a certain frequency, so to speak, for you to think. That's my shit. I love it. And that happens with visual, audible, audio, everything, you know. So with the inking style, it was sort of a lot of the artists from 2000 AD in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s that I really, really loved. Okay. Um, so that is sort of coming through now, I suppose. Um, I, you know, I did have a bit, not of a love-hate relationship with the Black Line, but I knew it was just a crude instrument to try and express what's going on or, or what I'm trying to perceive, you know what I mean, in this, in this sort of crude line and trying to make it sort of like a thing of beauty. And there's that's a whole other subject, really, like the cathartic nature of drawing and um, it's quite therapeutic as well, you know, because what I do is, as you, you might know, it's, it's quite a lot of detail, a lot of layering and zillions of little crosshatch strokes. Um, so to me, that process is quite laborious, but it's, it's quite satisfying as long as the subject's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I was like, oh, man, get, get me on the black spray game again, you know. So, I mean, who was the first artist that you collaborated with, like as a musician that you collaborated with? I mean, for, for the graffiti thing, I've always run with a couple of writers, but actually specifically doing artwork for like, a hip-hop artist. Ian, that's a really good question. Dave the Rough. Okay. Yeah, Attack of the Wild Style Beat Freaks. Dave the Rough. Oh, wow. um, I th think that was one of the first ones I did. And there's no there's no cross-hatching. It's just done in acrylic spray can and marker. And then Dave really liked that, and I did Rough Diamonds Volume 1, which was GB Collective. I know there was another one before that, but I really, I think it was a competition in Hip Hop Connection as well for an album cover, and I can't remember who it was by, and this was in about 1988 or 89, and it didn't go anywhere. And then after that, it was, well, the one that I'm, I'm mainly known for that got a bit of a, as you could say, sort of cult status, I suppose, was, was Break DJ Lacey's covers, specifically the Block Party one. Yeah. So I'm, I'm known more for that as, as sort of like, um, I suppose it's like a, a springboard that went off into some other things that, you know, um, it's, it's been bootlegged a hell of a lot, which I haven't got too much of a problem with. Uh, it just comes with it. It comes with the territory, doesn't it? I did do quite a lot of um, mixtape covers as well, but again, that was for, for Lacey um, when he worked with Ken Swift and um, just doing his own mixes, for, you know, b-boy mixes. Sorry, so he, so I worked with him on a lot of projects. We had that passion for the, for the roots of it, you know, it was all like Africa Islam tapes and, you know, just loved it. So that was 
that was a big part of it. And um, that was the springboard, his album cover, which was the block party. I think it was Rakim and Pete Rock and, and a lot of other people that like picked it up, gave it a shout out and just put their quotes underneath it, but used the artwork. A lot of the time, not crediting the artist, which happens a lot. Mm. Um, so that, that came around 360 really, you know, so that helped um, get my other stuff out there as well. When you are creating, I mean, do you have a specific process that you follow or like how do your pieces come about? It depends what medium I'm using. I mean, mainly for the, for the say like if it's the ink work that I'm mainly known for, obviously I, I was doing that freestyle sitting on the train from Brighton to London on that trip up to London so I'd, I'd obviously um, I say it with a bit of a squirm but because I, I try not to use my phone that much because uh, these things are so bloody addictive so I, I usually print if I if it was if I was freestyling something and this is another story in itself but I would get a couple of shots for reference so if it's Jay Diller or whatever or Cool Keith not copied directly from that photographer's shot, uh, but I'd, I'd sort of morph two or three different shots into uh, into that piece that I was thinking about. And the, the first ones were about A5, uh, and it would just be ink pen uh, to paper, and just to see what happens. It was a wonderful journey, just seeing what the hell would happen and what came out. Uh, and that happened through Ruckin. And it actually, it's pa- um, Paradise Grey out of X-Clan. You also ran the Latin quarters as well. He got in contact. He said, I love the work. I want to print or to put in the the hip hop museum in New York. He he was running at the time. And that was the block party print. And as a thank you for that, I did a little picture of him because he's got these wonderful grey dreads and his beard is all like just dread locked up and all that. And it looked great. And uh, I just did him in a sort of relaxed pose, just like looking into nothing really, quite sort of contemplative. Contemplative, yeah, that word, you know. (laughs) 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 Um, And it just really resonated, you know, and not saying that it didn't get a particularly great response because sometimes that sort of gears artists to like, wow, I'm onto something here, you know, let's keep on going. You know, I mean, I suppose that might have a, a little part of it, but it was just cool. It just felt good. It, it was nice. And it was, um, and that just, that just carried on. And that's how uh, this is, the Ego Strip project started, which I'm sort of known for as well. Um, but that was really... So getting back to your question, the process, those were all freestyle, the first 20% of that project. And as they got more elaborate, the paper got bigger, I would start sketching it out a little bit in pencil, very, very loose. And I would just like get in there, tighten it up. And you're on a wobbly train as well. So sometimes, you know, the eye would sort of go a bit skew-if, but you'd have to work with it. <laughs> That was for what it was about. Um, when I'm doing ink and wash, I, I was experimenting a bit. Sometimes I'd lay down the watercolour first and then ink over the top. And then, um, But I've, I've always had a bit of a love-hate thing with, with the watercolour and ink and wash because as soon as you put down the black pen on the beautiful colour, it makes it very murky. And I, I love that sort of... Um, the vibrancy and the subtlety of, of watercolour. Um, but so I'm still I'm still in the conundrum with that. But if I do do a colour piece, it's, it's mainly ink and wash, watercolour and ink. Um, I used to do canvases or whatever, you know, but um, I've, I've yet to find the time to, to explore that again because it's been years since I've did the canvases. But yeah, the process, it, there's not a lot of great depth to it, to be honest. I just try and attack it. I try and just just jump in. Sometimes yeah. it just completely messes up when I start again. 
but you got to this sort of having that fearlessness I think just to, just to see what happens sometimes they are rubbish <laughs> fair enough do you remember what the first piece was that you managed to sell let me think I had offers a lot of offers and I didn't want to sell any only because I had a good feeling that and I got advised to hang on to the stuff later down the line, start shifting it. Uh, the first piece that I, I sold when I, when I was about, um, when I was 12 years old. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't a picture. That was a clay model of a dog pissing on a lamppost. So, I mean, that was... Sorry, if that's you did ask. No, and I painted it, I glossed it, and it was it was... I thought it was hilarious and it, I think I was about 11 or 12 that was the first thing <laughs> I sold and it's just been sprinkles of whatever ever since but um, yeah. ego strip wise I mean I, I try not to shift too much I like to keep a hold of some bits and it's mainly I started selling when I did the Kickstarter campaign and we did those as um as higher tiered rewards, yeah. Um, and I, 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 I tend not to, to sell them. I, I want to hang on to them for that lovely big gallery show one day or something like yeah. that. So um, that'd be really cool. And that, I think that's because I'm very conscious of them being just black and white and they're digitally coloured, which I didn't go into. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to backtrack. After the black and whites are done, I'll scan them and then digitally colour them in Photoshop using very limited brushes, probably about three brushes and, and, and not many filters, maybe one or two filters just to bring out a, a, a focus on a certain colour that I've picked out that I want to draw the onlooker's head, you know, eyes to or something like that because your eyes are naturally drawn to more warmth or the lightest part in, a, in an illustration. So I, when I scan my inks and digitally colour them, that gives me another opportunity to give it a bit more depth because sometimes the inks are a bit flat um, and I like to have quite a lot of depth. So, um, yeah, inking as well, I'll use these fibre tip pens called Unipin pens. They're just very fine fibre tip pens, usually 0.05. It's a very thin to about 0.2, so they're still quite thin. Uh, and obviously, if you're doing the background, you use the thinner pen and you thicken the line up as you go to the foreground. Uh, that's the way I do it anyway. So, I mean, what spawned the idea of doing the Kickstarter project? Obviously, I can understand that you wanted to get the Ego Strip stuff to life, but I mean, why did you choose a book and why that time and, and in that kind of form and so on? Oh, well, I, I love books. I, I used to design books and, and I've always had a, just, a, just a love of the tactile nature, the smell. You know, it's a bit like, you know, someone who loves vinyl, you know, it's that you take it out, you, you know, you look at it, it's that tactile nature of it turning a page and I just love books. So why, why not? If you've got over 200 illustrations, it makes sense to just to stick them in some type of collected physical volume, you know, that will, it's just a, such a buzz seeing it on a shelf with the name on the spine. And, you know, I, I just I just loved it. You know, it's that thing with comics as well. It's something physical that you can turn a page. And if you're that way inclined, you'd like to collect them. So it's, um, I just love the tactile nature of a book. Uh, it being bound really well. And that's a whole skill in itself, you know, 
uh, the type of binding and, and all the little, you know, all the little bells and whistles that come with it, you know, uh, spot glass and all this embossed and all this stuff. So combining uh, a certain amount of illustrations, obviously the more you stick in it, the more expensive the book's going to be. So I, I had to limit it the way, but I went chronologi- chronologically in order of when I first started the, the project when it just came to fruition in this sort of organic process on the train. So it started from right at the beginning up to it was like collating the first two years. So when I do eventually do the second book, that will be the, the, the three years after that. Um, but it makes complete sense to me if I'm sort of quite passionate about books and, and art books. If there's an artist you like, you know, you usually end up getting his book. Yeah. So it was a no-brainer to me, really, to, to put it out. And I, I was thinking maybe I did have Kickstarter in mind, but um, I got put off by some of the horror stories, you know, well, things that just didn't work out. It, it would, you know, it wouldn't come to fruition project. They, they didn't have their, their fan base, maybe. And so I'm blessed to sort of have, a, I guess, a, a loyal fan base. I don't really, I don't, I've got a problem with that word fans and things, you know. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's that artistic deprivation, just tooting your own trumpet and, uh, you know, cowering in the shadows, <laughs> not wanting to be seen. Yeah. But as long as you've got a sketchbook and pen, you're all right, you know. But, um, so that, that seemed quite healthy and some friends were saying it makes sense just to put it out to a, to a Kickstarter campaign, you know, and crowdfunding seems to be the way. Uh, instead of going down the traditional route and then trying to get unsolicited material to a publisher that might just throw your idea on the pile, you know, just do it yourself and you can reap the benefits as well of all that hard work. It's like, it's nice just to get a little bit of cash after that as well, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So with the different pieces you've created over time, have you got either a favourite, like, MC or producer or whatever that you've you've drawn or is it just a general piece? So, say, for example, if there's a few artists where you've done a few pieces linked in, is there someone that you really enjoy drawing or is there just a standout piece where you think that's the one, that's the one I'm most proud of today? That's quite a large question. Generally, if they've got pronounced features, it's it's more interesting to draw. If you get a very symmetrical looking person, it's quite boring. <laughs> so I'm um, sorry, Nas and Q-Tip, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> too symmetrical they're good looking fellas and it's there's nothing look I'm just going to say it man it's like Jay-Z Grandmaster Flash um, who else there's a lot of really strong features out there that are brilliant to draw you know um, and if it's like boyish good looks and just very symmetrical it's a pain in the ass. and especially when you're on the train and you're wobbling around that slight <laughs> little wonk it's like it's not happening. So Primo is really good to draw. He's, he's got a brilliant face. And yeah, there's 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 a lot here. I mean, I mean, you know, KRS. Um, you know, there's just a lot, there's a lot of good, <laughs> good healthy faces out there to draw. Um, yeah, every being Rakim was a, was a good one. I mean, one of the standout pieces that I, I really liked, and I thought, oh, this is just. I mean, a lot of you, you're exploring new territory. So at the first year was just I was in a magical land of just like oh man this is brilliant and the feeling 
And I was like getting all cosmic, so like conduit to something, you know, the great spirit or the universe or something. All this shit was just pouring in and flowing out. And <laughs> it was that flow that was just very, very healthy. And it's very spontaneous. And I'm sitting on this bloody wobbly train, you know, with very limited <laughs> materials. And it was just, it was just great. Um, the singular pieces were great because they were quite fast, quick, dirty, loose. When I got to the cruise, it had to get bigger and a bit more intricate. And then it's a bit more of a labor. It loses a little bit of that spontaneity. But I, I really do love that spontaneity. So, I mean, I, I've been working from home for, for about three years now anyway, but not having that train ride hasn't really affected me creatively at all, but it was just a lovely little bubble where you're traveling through the land to get to your destination. You're in a good place mentally to just be at ease. There's no distractions. You're looking out the window. It's just a nice experience. So now I have to try, it's a bit more of a forced to find a nice ex, um, a, a environment around me to get into that flow. So it might be down the beach, it might be in the countryside, in the South Downs, it might be in a room when my daughters are out playing or something, but it's harder to find that, that space at the moment to, to create them. And now for my next number, I'd like to return to the classics. Perhaps the most famous classic in all the world of music. One of my favorite pieces within the Ego Strip series is the quite magical piece that you created Adela Soul with the, the owl character underneath them and so on. I mean, what's the story behind that? Because I mean, it's it's really intriguing. I mean, that's it's kind of one of those things where like the stories behind your pieces are, are great in terms of the, there's like you say, I mean, the richness and the detail really bring them to life. Do you kind of have an idea in your head and think, Oh right, I can I can picture this. Or do these things just kind of you start inking, and then it just something emerges whilst you're inking? Well, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, it because these are all artists of the past. They've resonated with me in a specific way. In what record? What tune? What line? What lyric? Uh, the whole vibe of that epoch, you know, which that really floated my boat, like really pushed my button at that time. So with 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 Day of the Soul, um, I love plug tuning when it came out because I was 1987. I thought, what the hell is this? Like obviously, Loving Carers One and Public Enemy, Big Daddy Kane, and Day of the Soul came out, which is completely different. So it's plug tuning, and I knew that it was my very different and special. Dayla's first album came out, which was obviously a, like a classic, but where it got so popular, it sort of put me off a little bit. So I sort of poo pooed that first album a little bit. It's still brilliant. But it's got a lot of pop exposure and sort of, you know what I mean? I don't know, I was just being my rebellious arsehole self again. And <laughs> I sort of got into more De La Soul was dead and specific tunes off of that. But I mean, so little, little audible and visual nuggets linger and that's what come out. That's, that's what comes out during the creative process. So I don't dwell and get too anal or too sort of um, stuffy or nerdy about it. Although that does come out, all those things are within me as well. Yeah. Getting all the philosophical here as well. But 
it's it's very spontaneous so I'm picking that era which I vibed with what, what hit me the hardest was when you know you first get little the way they're cutting their hair all the like half moons all the dreads on the angle and the way that you know the haircut the, the, the whole the flows and the, the whole vibe of them and they're just on a different thing they've been quite rebellious although it was just it was it wasn't very uh, angry music so I had that sort of free light footed vibe about them and little um, Nemo in in Slumberland for some reason popped in my head with the huge walk-in bed um, I think that was created in the early 20th century I can't remember what newspaper but it's beautiful illustrations but I always loved that walk-in bed thing of, of just like I've always got a thing of flying beds you know a bit like red beds not bed knobs and broomsticks and all that you know where you're you're on this strange little contraption flying through the air and you're in your own little world doing your own thing so it's, that's part of the analogy of that they're just doing their own thing and that that creative adventure of they're not too sure what they're doing but they're just having a brilliant time doing it they're doing what they want so that's what that was about you know that whole bed thing with the DJ you know I'm usually a little nod to him he's going to have either his headphones or you know he's on a speaker or near or, or something those little gadgets around him the owl I think that was because that's been a symbol f- uh through, through millennia of, uh, of wisdom but I think naturally owls are quite thick <laughs> so <it's a> bit, <laughs> I sort of put that in there not 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 because of that I'm just sort of thinking out loud really so, which is funny because we always put the owls as wise wise old owls yeah. within children's literature and everything um, but I've got the the, the onk and, and that represents the, the sort of um uh standing on the shoulders of ancestors in a way uh, where they're aware of that lineage uh, uh, the roots you know w- within their own people and within hip-hop and I suppose it's, it's, it's taking a little bit of that and trying to make a, a, a visual a visual metaphor and it just so happened to be an owl you know carrying a, a sort of speakery crate of records and there's little elements as well if you're traveling creative traveling or journeying uh, I usually put little like a backpack with little cups and knives and forks to, to sort of yeah you're, you're on a path of something so that that's uh, that's all that and the trees as well is that is that is that um, link of, of the roots and and um, just that beautiful sort of uh, natural inclination that we all have to create so did you find that when you became a dad that your approach to art or your I guess kind of your link to hip hop in any way changed once once you kind of had kids of your own oh definitely yeah yeah 100% next question (laughs) (laughs) sorry yeah Yeah, no um, yeah that that was having left New York and that was under quite sort of strained circumstances you know where I spoke of Jim, you know, one of my best mates, break DJ Lacey, you know, he died really tragically. And then my wife's younger sister died really tragically while we were in America. So we were drawn to come back to England. Uh, we didn't have children out there and, you know, abracadabra, we had children, you know, the first six months of coming back to England. Um, and I think leaving, leaving America, I was in a process of sort of not shedding the ego, but I was very tired of a lot of the drama that I got myself into battling, battle mentality. I'm the shit, I'm this, I'm that, I'm gonna dig. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know what I mean? For final, and just I want the best, and I want, I want. It's just a lot. It's just energy. It's like there's a lot of, a lot of energy is going. I spreading myself too thin. I wasn't really focusing on the art as much as I should have been, and probably the fact that I was smoking too much weed as well. <laughs> so these things were sort of shed, and it was a new start. I was like, oh my god, I've got this beautiful little baby in my arms. You know, of course it's going to change you profoundly. And that definitely has an effect on on uh, your perception of reality around you and what's important. And it's not digging for the, the the rawest drum beats and just you know trying to perfect my bloody head spin that I could never get you know my, my hang of anyway. And just all these little things that were very important to me, obsessively important. But I just had to let them go because this is too much aggro, you know. And especially with that battle mentality and you know leaving America. It's not that I was like 17 or something where you got that young boy game of just like loaded testosterone, you need to get it out there and express it. You're angry, you're pissed off about things. I was 36, 37 and I was still battling at 35 and I was just getting tired. You know, my knees were hurting. <laughs> <laughs> that was the b-boy thing and the rocking thing as well and i wasn't that great but for some reason I, I had to just like it was part of my expression and sort of like inner angst and, and um had to just come out in that physical way um so leaving that it was a physical and a mental representation of just like leaving it or letting it go just shedding it and just focusing on family and creativity and more nurturing and um um what's it called uh, God, I can't remember this word. It's a brilliant word and I can't remember it's gone. But yeah, it's just more nurturing, really. Uh, way of, of, of being. It's tiring battling all the time, you know? So uh, yeah, it, it works out in a natural way that, as it should do, uh, not forced. And that was the thing about graffiti as well. Sometimes when I was doing my ode without even realising it to, to graffiti, you know, just trying to do hardcore letters and b-boy characters, it was it felt right at the time. But for me to keep doing that, it didn't seem natural for me. It was too forced. So you know, you, you know, you, you self police yourself sometimes, thinking, you know, it's like not like keep it real sort of thing, but like it was back in the early nineties or whatever, you know, where I've got to do it this way because this is the proper way it's done. It gets very tiring doing that sometimes. Sometimes, so, you know, so, yeah. I mean, you've worked with so many artists, or like, and whether that be self-led projects or whether you've done sort of official collaborations. I mean, which which artists are still on your hit list, like in terms of people you'd like to work with? Well, man, it was just a, such a, a as which is untimely. You know, Doom, Doom was Doom was up there. Um, any any sort of. To be honest, it got to a point where I wanted to tackle big, famous artists because it was a good challenge. They'd have a very good direction and a team behind them, and I like that challenge. And plus, you'd get the recognition that my family would benefit from. So it would have been the Kendrick Lamars and the Jay Zs or whatever. But um, that was that was only for about six months. Now my <laughs> <laughs> my attitude's changed now. I'm just thinking, yeah, whatever, really. If the project's good, then then I'm there. Um, I mean, the, the, the money does help in this funny paradigm of bank cartels and all this, don't get me started. But, you know, we still got to think about paying the rent, haven't we? So that does help a budget. Sorry, I digress. Um, artists. <laughs> it's a word with. Kamasi Washington would be brilliant. Um, you know, more jazz 
I'm leaning more towards jazz artists of late and not so much, you know, air quotes, hip-hop. Um, again, it's a natural thing. Maybe I'm being led to more melody and more instrumental music. So if someone's spitting insane bars, I wouldn't really necessarily know about them because I'm not... They're not on my radar right now. If they're blowing up and they're just amazing, then and they're, they're interested in me helping them out or collaboration, then I'm there. So I haven't really got a specific answer for that question. <laughs> I can see why you go with Kamasi Washington as well, because I mean the obviously the music's amazing. But also when you were saying about strong characters and strong features and so on, you can see see why you would steer more towards an artist like that. Or yeah, he's brilliant artist. to draw. Yeah, brilliant to draw, and he's yeah, it's talent. You know, coming out of everywhere, isn't he? So it's. Um, you know, all, all the ego, ego strip illustrations that I've done have been self-perpetuated, you know, so I'm more into that than really artists coming to me. So can you do my cover? Because you've always got their direction and 90% of the time I'm a bit like, that, and then there's a bit of back and forth and I try and massage a better idea. Um, so maybe that's why I'm, I'm going more towards uh, the fluidity of instrumental music. Well, I recently did Tony Allen's last LP cover, which was brilliant. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's been officially released on the 30th of April. But that cover was so cool to do. A brilliant man, a brilliant project, brilliant label, and, and it was just, it, it, yeah, it was, it was great to do. Um, these things just really help. So I'm not just stuck in the confines of, of, of hip-hop. I need to expand creatively, although that's my first love, you know, and it probably will always be there. Um, but as, as visual elements, it's, it's sort of like what you're trying to interpret audio sonics frequencies into a visual language. That's, I like that challenge as well. But if I'm hearing the same sort of, you know, pattern, that won't always necessarily... Uh, make me you know, explore on other levels. You know, I don't like repeating myself. So that's what I'm saying. We'll see what happens, man. You know, I mean, there's lots of good projects out there that are still coming in, but I, I have to be choosy nowadays. I don't like repeating myself, you know. I don't think any artist really does. Just wanna see a side space, wanna see my space. I don't wanna be living in race, age. I wanna see my face, I wanna see the corner of my face, not a face, space, rage. And I'm large and in charge, brave. I'm comfort, I've been hard, pain. I got hot, I got bars, rain. I got hot, I got bars. I know I'm in the corner, I know I'm falling over, looking at my shoulder. Eh. I know I should've told you, I know I'm falling over, I don't cross over. Eh. Always trying to take my pride, always trying to change my mind. Never wanna see me shine, always wanna see my grind. kind of music do you tend to listen to when you are creating then is it more kind of the instrumental side or are there any artists that you kind of that help you get into the zone 
yeah, well, I mean, if, if I'm thinking of a specific uh, song, then, you know, I do dip back into it. And sometimes I haven't heard that, that 12 inch or whatever for 25 years. Although it's, it's, it's still resonated, it's still there, and I'm thinking about it. Oh, shit, that'll be good. It, it's so cool just to go back to it. Um, for whatever reason, it might be yeah, like decade, two decades, 25 years, whatever. I, I haven't heard it, um, so that helps. But when I listen to music, it's very eclectic nowadays. And if it is on that hip hop tip, it is more instrumental because I think as I'm getting more mature, I don't necessarily want to hear someone. I mean, this sounds sort of negative in a way, but someone jabbing at me in my ear. I don't need to hear that. I need I need to just roll on a vibe which is instrumental, a beautiful bass line, some just some raw beats, or maybe just a beautiful melody that takes me off to somewhere else. When lyrics come into it nowadays, depending on what mood I'm in, it can be an irritant. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds awful and, and, and maybe some of the people that are just like following me thinking I'm, <laughs> I'm very obsessed with hip hop it's not it's not that people jump to silly conclusions I love it and it was and it was a part of my life and still is but I've matured in a way that I'm naturally going and that is more instrumental and not so many just like just MCs in my ear which is it's beautiful in, in when it's the right time yeah. but as I'm getting older that's more few and far between <laughs> so uh, I still listen to my vinyl I mean the last the last piece of, of wax I got was a couple of days ago but that was that was like a Dorothy Ashby sounding um, I can't remember her name is it Jennifer Adams or something? But she was on that Jazzman label, so I got that. But that's that's not it. That's, that's like some melodic sort of harp on some on, on a nice sort of jazzy bass line and stuff, you know. But uh, hip hop wise, I get given a lot of um, freebies, which is great. And I still love, you know, Filmos, Chiloxi, Architect, and, and just a lot of MCs. But they're more on that sort of foundational architect sound, which I dip in now and again. I mean, Idan as well is brilliant. Homeboy Sandman. All these are great, but it's only now and again, you know what I mean? I love music. I'm not obsessed when, you know, when, when, when rap was, was just elevating by every three to four, five years, which is like crazy styles were coming in. And so I was, I was obsessed then because it was just that, it pushed that creative little button in me. And I was like, oh man, I was just, just completely obsessed, you know? But that was then. It's a little bit different now for multiple reasons. It's just finally, Dan, I was just wondering uh, what's next for you creatively? I mean, you you touched on it a little bit in terms of exploring the genres, but I mean, what what do you kind of feel is the next step for you? And what would you, you've also mentioned about like a second ego strip book and all that side of things, but what, what do you see as the next pathway? Well, more murals, which I, I, I love doing, but it's, you know, it's just getting the time and everything. But um, yeah, more, more murals. I'd love to do the second book because it is fun writing about it. It's just nice. It's, it's, it's a different creative process. Um, more collaborations, but I, I'd like to just do more colour, large colour pieces, canvas. It might take me away from cross-hatching, which is, is very, um, I mean, it is very laborious, but there's that cath beautiful cathartic sort of nature of it as well, which we, we touched on earlier. But it is physically demanding. I know it doesn't sound sitting my ass drawing, but 
but it is, you know, RSI after a while, the zillions of lines that my, I'm very grateful for this, this hand, you know, but it's the amount of stress you put your body through doing repetitive things. So it would be nice to move away, not, not stop it dead, but to, to explore just laying down big slabs of paint on a canvas would be brilliant i'm looking forward to that and it might be completely different from what i'm doing now but i, I won't leave this alone because i love inking as well and i'll still i'd still like to to explore you know work with other artists but as you were saying you know, if being very truthful i'd like to start getting into some canvases and i've got some big canvases lying around that i haven't touched in years they're still looking very white and clean <laughs> staring at me yeah so that, that's an animation as well animation would be really cool I'm, I'm already getting into a bit of that working with j period stuff so doing his latest LP. There's, there's quite a lot of animation, uh, which is really cool. But I can see why animators just use one line instead of multiple lines to animate, because it's really <laughs> difficult. Very difficult, yeah. Nice. But it's, you know, with any creative being, as, as we all are, it's just lovely just to keep fresh and keep exploring. That's why I try and promote, just keep creating, keep exploring, physically and mentally. Well, on, on that beautiful note, Dan, thank you so much for joining us on Digging the Crates and you know, best of luck with all of your great adventures. And it's, it's thank been, you, man. been great talking to you, man. So thank you. No, you're very welcome. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Cool. Peace, man. Take care. Nice, mate. Peace. I don't know when to stop, you know, I, I'm just exploring. I mean, I, what I'm doing is exploring, exploring this musical field because there's no end. There's no end to it. The line of music, there's no end. We just have to explore and express as we are look at it. To find out more about each episode, including the tracks played, go to thefinemag.com.